0: The Money Show. The Big Issue.
1: Well, big issue this evening is the World Cup. It's a fabulous event, football World Cup. It is one of the greatest sporting events on the planet, depending, of course, on how uh, you like your sport. Whether you like it served round bald or oblong bald, little ball, furry bald, or golf ball. I have absolutely no idea. But uh, somebody who was here at the last World Cup, Michael Goldman, who is a member of the faculty as an adjunct faculty member at Gibbs, he's assistant professor at the University of San Francisco, and he's on the line to us from San Francisco this evening. It is possibly Michael Goldman the world's biggest marketing event, give or take?
0: It is. Good evening, Bruce. It it is an absolute marketing event, and the sponsors really are stepping up. I mean, if you look at Twitter over the last few days, you'll see some amazing campaigns that have gone viral from Nike and Adidas and Dr. Beats, etc., Uh, And certainly the sponsors are kind of stepping up where I guess a lot of the controversy at the moment is about the country Brazil and the organization FIFA. But certainly the sponsors are not stopping for anything at the moment.
1: If there's controversy around the country Brazil and controversy around Qatar 2022 and controversy around FIFA perpetually, why is it that brand owners are prepared to attach their brands to something which could turn around and bite them in the backside?
0: certainly there is a risk and Sony and others have stepped up in the last 24 hours and applied some pressures through the media on FIFA, perhaps uh, behind closed doors and now publicly uh, that certainly issues around Qatar and Russia and other issues need to be sorted out by FIFA and these have been ongoing allegations now for some time and we've spoken about this a number of times before so, if, you know, John Oliver, the US comedian, suggested this week that uh, FIFA was comically grotesque <laughs> and I think, uh, you know, the, the, these comments continue to, to dog FIFA uh, and it's something they do need to really sort out but I guess for the sponsors and for the commercial partners of this World Cup event every four years it's the massive TV audience uh, you know, something over three billion people will tune in at some point for more than a minute of the event. Over three billion tuned in for 2010 when we hosted it in South Africa, uh, and I suspect many more this time around. And social media continues to amplify that week even further. So, as a you know six-week event, uh, there's nothing to match it in terms of its reach into people's homes, into people's hearts.
1: Bigger than the Olympics.
0: Absolutely. I guess the one thing about the Olympics is its reach across countries. And so the Olympics and the World Cup would have a similar kind of reach in terms of number of countries participating. And I guess the Olympics would have more. Uh, The the question really comes down to the fervor and the passion around football. Uh, And perhaps there's fervor and passion around the 100 meters dash. But, you know, outside of that, the Olympics doesn't hold on average per event the kind of attraction that a national uh, patriotic kind of support base does. Uh, for the beautiful game. And
1: what, what's the event worth this year in financial terms versus what it was worth in 2010?
0: I guess it depends who you're asking about. So certainly when it comes to FIFA, this is another knockout uh, commercial success. Uh, they're expecting $4 billion worth of revenue uh, for for this uh, World Cup. That's up 66%, Bruce, on, on 2010. Uh, and an 11-fold increase since 1998. So for FIFA, World Cups have been an absolute financial success. They're going to turn about a $2 billion profit uh, from Brazil. Uh, and so huge success for them. Their costs have increased slightly, uh, so they'll be spending about five hundred and eighteen million dollars uh, on the countries participating and on some of the athletes and the clubs they come from. That's up 37%. So, you know, when your incomes are going up 66% and your costs are only going up 37%, this is a fairly good financial position to be in. I guess if you're talking about Brazil, uh, it's, it's a different story totally.
1: Uh, and what is the different story?
0: Well, they'd be probably spending around $11 billion, perhaps up to $14 billion. Uh, on preparing for this World Cup and of course politicians like we saw four years ago in South Africa uh, will make fabulous predictions of perhaps 90 billion dollars worth of economic boost Uh, you know we saw much less than that and our estimations came down significantly after the event and I suspect you'll see the same thing again for Brazil Uh, and of course as we've seen in the news over the last year Uh, The protest over the 70% of the average Brazilian population is negative towards the World Cup. I think we're going to see a very tough socio-political kind of space uh, facing the next six weeks in Brazil. Uh, That's going to make it very tough uh, for uh, the president to get re-elected in October. Uh, and for any of those financial estimations to come to fruition for the country.
1: Now, uh, but Michael, before I put you on hold for just a moment, the $90 billion economic benefit that we're supposed to get, who's done a, a credible calculation on the financial <laughs> benefit for South Africa of hosting World Cup 2010? Because we get the politicians to make the big promises, then the real world happens, and really there's no sort of real world calculation that seems to be credible afterwards.
0: Yes, yeah, certainly. There's a direct and an indirect uh, benefit boost, and so very, very simply, you know, if you, if you look at the South African benefits, there was a suggestion of 93 billion rand's worth of economic impact on the country. But of course, remember, most of those, most of that is public spending by South African taxpayers on the event, and much of that spend went on event-specific infrastructure and not kind of infrastructure for everyday persons. So so I I think we're going to see the same kind of issues here. And as you would ask any economist, on the one hand, one thing, on the other hand, another thing. And so I think there's a lot of indirect benefit built into those really big numbers.
1: Michael Goldman, don't go away. I want to wrap up with you this evening just in just a little while. Dr. Robin Peterson's been listening to that, Chief Executive Officer of SAFA Development. Robin, nice to have you on the show this evening. Um, I've been asking our listeners for tangible benefits this evening. Not one of them has come up with football development as a tangible benefit of World Cup 2010
2: there certainly has been um, you know the the profits that left that were left uh, that were guaranteed by FIFA that were left in the country uh, were firstly there was a, a percentage of them that was used uh, to prepare for the World Cup to build Sapher house which is a great legacy for football in the sense of an administrative headquarters for football. Um, And then um, we have 450 million rand that was put into an account with the the FIFA uh, 2010 Legacy Trust. Um, It's a trust that's not controlled by SAFA, but SAFA have a, a, a significant say in that. And that money, the trust has met and they decided that that money would be spent over the next 10 years. And the bulk of it will be spent on football development. Uh, SAFA applied last year to the trust as it has to do and uh, was granted an amount of around 35 million rand in the first year that was spent entirely on football development this year that amount was around 40 million rand and that money goes towards the implementation of our vision 2022 football development plan it's not all the money that we need hence my role as the CEO of the Staff for Development Agency, we're trying to raise around 200 million rand a year, which is what we need to do a full implementation of the plan. But certainly the money that, that, that comes from the Legacy Trust and will come for the next 10 years provides us with a very, very solid underpinning uh, for, the, for that program. And so yeah, yeah. some of the things we've done in the past uh, two years have mm. been establishing under-13 and under-15 leagues for boys and girls in all 341 of our local football associations, Uh, money that's gone to running the women's uh, second division, the old ABSA League, which is now the 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 second division women's league, which would have collapsed without that funding. We've also been funding our girls at the High Performance Centre Academy in Pretoria, and uh, setting up money for establishing of provincial offices and structures around the country and various other smaller projects and beach football and futsal. So the money goes against a plan. We have a 10-year plan, and every year we identify those elements of the plan that need to be particularly funded, and that money is coming from out of the Legacy Trust.
1: Okay, then what is the, the, the you're talking about the, the, the 22 goal, is this to, to qualify for the World Cup in Qatar then, is that the goal? Yeah, I'll
2: tell you what we did, Bruce. Um, <clears throat> I, I became SAFA CEO in, in three years ago in August 2011, and by the end of that year we were in a crisis from a football perspective. Sure. We hadn't qualified for the African Cup of Nations, we had not qualified for the Olympics, although the women had, uh, the, the under-23s hadn't. And our under-20 team got knocked out in the, in the preliminary round, in the group stages of the Casafa of the Cup. So January 2012, we called a gathering of 200 football experts. We said, we put a stake in the ground, give us a 10-year time horizon. Our goal is to always and consistently create national teams that will be rated in the top three in Africa in the top 20 in the world. And we asked this group of 200 coaches and technical experts what we needed to do over 10 years to to put in place the structures that would develop that and deliver that consistently. We identified seven big things. We built. We spent the year in working groups building the plan. And at the end of 2012, um, uh, we set up the SAFA Development Agency. I was seconded from my role, the SAFA CEO, to head this up. And the sole mandate of the agency is to ensure that this plan gets implemented within the structures of SAFA. And we've really made great progress in the last 18 months towards that. It's a massive, massive task. And we have a long way to go, but it is certainly on the road.
1: When we look at the, at the massive success, for example, of uh, sports that are traditionally regarded as white sports, cricket, mm. rugby on the global sc- stage, if we've got anything close to a national sport, it's got to be soccer, it's got to be football. Um, mm-hmm. Yet, on the global stage, we suck at it. And it, it goes back to school, it goes back to resources, it goes back to all of these things that hopefully this plan is going to address.
2: No, it absolutely is going to address that. So the plan looks at, at at where we want to be in 10 years' time, where we are now, and obviously what we need to do to get there. I'll just give one little slice of that plan to give you some indication of the magnitude of it. We, we've calculated, we, we, we estimate that we have over 2 million registered players, which makes us probably the largest membership structure in the country. Um, those players are spread through 341 local football associations. Given that the country has 276 municipalities, we have one football association in every municipality, and then in the metros, we have more than one. So at Joburg, we have 12. Now, what we need to do is fix football at each one of those yeah. local football associations. We need coaches. That's that's number four of the seven things. And just to give the perspective, Spain has got 28,000 a-licensed coaches uh, for a football population of under a million they are registered players. We've got a total of coaches from our A, B, C, D licenses of 9,000. Um, we, 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 our ratios are just completely out of whack. And our calculations are that we need one coach for 20 players, which means we need 100,000 coaches. We have 10. So our plan and the plans that we're busy working towards and raising funds for and beginning to implement are to train 30 coaches in each one of our local football associations every year. That will give us 10000 as a base every year. That would give us the kind of impetus that we need at a ground level to be able to make the interventions mm-hmm. that will produce the long-term results. That's one of seven big things we're doing. Sure, But as uh, you can see, yeah. the scope of it is massive.
1: Absolutely, Robin. I mean, do we, do we get to the quarterfinals of Qatar 2022?
2: I mean, is well, that the, the goal? Well, goal is to get at least to the quarterfinals of Qatar 2022.
1: There we go. The optimism of Robin Peterson this evening. Roy, C Seapoint, you've got a, a, a completely opposite view to this.
0: Hi. Hello, Bruce. Yes, I hear this guy going on about wanting $200 and I'd like to know how much he gets paid every year, and I'd like to know how much all those guys sitting next to Danny or Don get paid every year, and at the end of it, we get 11 guys on a field who don't know where the ball's going and are absolutely useless. And you sound like the sports minister, Roy.
1: You sound like the sports minister, Roy. You've got to be careful. You'll get a job in politics next. Roy and Ah. (laughs) Seapoint furious. Uh, Ah, uh, Very cross this evening. But, yeah, it is the problem of being able to put the ball in the back of the net. Michael Goldman uh, from Gibbs, who's also teaching at the University of San Francisco, is a marketer. I mean, from a marketing point of view, we don't really have much of a football team to market, do we, Michael, in terms of their success rate?
0: Certainly, I think Robin's uh, work with the team uh, around Bafana Bafana is, is critical going forward. Uh, and it really is, as you say, about schools and development programs over the next few years. But from a branding point of view, you know, we, we have seen the strength of the Bafana Bafana brand through 2010. Uh, but it does kind of strongly come off uh, performances. And, you know, every team's brand is built partly uh, through its performance and through the belief among those that follow the brand, that it is somewhat competitive. You don't have to win every time, but you have to believe running onto the field that there's a chance you're going to win. And I think Bafana Bafana struggles in that area uh, and that really kind of limits the ability for staff and others to leverage the Bafana Bafana brand.
1: Um, Suren in Pretoria wants to make a point about uh, rugby versus soccer and the way in which uh, rugby is structured. Suren, you understand these things better than I. Good evening to you, Suren.
2: Yes, uh, I've grown up playing soccer, but my six-year-old son is involved with rugby through his school, with Baliki Rugby, and it's amazing the types of structures that rugby has from primary school level right up into varsity and professional ranks, and it's a pity that South doesn't look at what's happening in rugby and exchange notes. And, and for, for, for the record, they don't rely on professionally trained coaches. They've got parents, et cetera, that are involved, and have box-smart programs which train the, uh, the, you know, the parents in terms of basic skills for rugby. Um, as a soccer lover, it's just amazing to see the structures in, in rugby.
1: Suren, thank you. I mean, long-established structures from, from long, long ago. Robin Peterson, I mean, just listening to Seren in Pretoria there, um, are there lessons that uh, you are seeking to gain from what rugby has done and continues to do?
2: Yeah, absolutely, Bruce. Can I reply also to Roy's question? Sure. Because he raised a really uh, important point for me about these, the, this perception of salaries and money has being paid, et cetera. And I think it's a really important one to correct. You know, as SAFA CEO, I can absolutely guarantee 100% that no one gets paid money out of SAFA that should not be paid. And I'll give you an example: the president of SAFA and the elected members of the National Executive Committee earn honoraria this past year of 50,000 rand, and for that, they attend all the meetings. They are they work in virtually flat out full time. And that's what they get paid. Their honorarium before was 110,000 rand. It got cut last year because our finances were in difficult position. So that's the money that gets taken out of SAFA by the executive. The people who are employed, the CEOs, we earn reasonable salaries. They're not out of line. They're certainly in line. We've benchmarked them across all the industries. So it is a complete misperception. And often it's a confusion with the professional league where there's a different set of standards that apply. But within SAFA... There is no one who is taking money that is, that, that is taking money on commissions that is being paid in ways that are in any way uh, out of order or out of line. So I just wanted to correct that.
1: Uh, and and, S- S- and Siren's comment about learning from yes, the success to, of others? Uh,
2: so Siren 's comment is also very interesting. Two things. His comment about the coaches. Our plan to train the 10,000 coaches a year are precisely – a five day course that will be targeted at teachers, at parents, at volunteers, but we need to correct what happens with the five to twelve year old kids. And if we don't train people in what we call our D license, which is that, that intro course, we're going to get the problems per- perpetuating themselves. We will then have other structures to train professional coaches. In terms of the schools, uh, Cricket and rugby, very, very fortunately for them, inherited an sure. apartheid legacy of privilege and advantage. Sure. There are 100 incredibly well-resourced schools throughout the country. There are 28 of them that produce 88% of the rugby springboks. Saru and the other structures have to do nothing about that except to continue to make sure that, 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 that those... But the schools are the ones who are doing it. We don't have one of those schools if we can get one, two, three, if we could get 20 or 30 of the top resource schools in the country to give equal attention to football, equal resources mm. to football, equal scholarships to football, equal investment in football, we would see massive changes. And that,
1: Robin Peterson, sorry, we have to leave it there. I'm also encroaching on the territory of sports talk. And Derek Albert's going to bite my head off uh, because I'm talking sport now. Um, I know we're talking about resourcing and money and all of that sort of stuff. Robin Peterson, thank you very much. Chief Executive of SAFA this evening. Michael Goldman, who are going to be the big winners of World Cup 2014 in Brazil. I don't mean who's going to take the cup. Who's going to be the big money winners of World Cup 2014?
0: Well, certainly, I think FIFA walks away as, uh, as, as the, the total winner... Uh, of every World Cup thus far. And it's gonna take something significant in changing around the bidding and the rules for hosting uh, for that to change in the interest of the country uh, concerned. I I think also, you know, some of the major sponsors, if you look at Budweiser and others, uh, I think they're gonna be working really hard to try and leverage their investments uh, to to get maximum returns in a massive country like Brazil and with with the world's attention on Brazil. Uh, As you may know, um, FIFA forced uh, Brazil to change one of their laws, um, previously you weren't allowed to to consume or to sell uh, beer uh, at a at a soccer stadium. That's been overturned. It's called the Budweiser Bill. And so, uh, certainly with pouring rights to the stadium uh, and with a real focus commercially on that region, I, I think the Cokes and the Adidas and the Sony's and the Budweisers of the world um, are going to look to uh, to really win out of this.
1: There we go, Michael Goldman. Thank you very much from San Francisco. This evening, adjunct faculty member at Gibbs, assistant professor at the University of San Francisco with his hand firmly on the pulse of what is going on in the World Cup.